Okay, hello and welcome everybody. We're starting in just a minute or two while uh, our attendees are all coming in and overcoming the hurdles of logging into Zoom. Uh, it is Thursday afternoon. That means it's time for Southeast Asia Connect with fantastic guests and um, some insights about flying taxis apparently today. So that will be a fantastic show that we have today for you. Uh, Chris, you're ready? I'm ready. Born ready. So um, yeah, so today our topic is back on the map and uh, smart cities and what it means um, now and in the future. And we have fantastic guests that we'll introduce in a moment. So this webinar and podcast series is for founders and investors of Southeast Asia. So uh, if you're not in Southeast Asia, I'm sure you logged in because you're interested to know more about what's going on in this part of the world. The series is brought to you by our friends at Northridge Partners and Precious Communications. And combined, we have worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs and uh, investors that raised capital, grew the help to grow businesses, exit and establish communication strategies designed for success. My name is Lars Fudisch founder of Precious Communications. I'm the co-host, um, economist by study and storyteller by passion. Besides working for some of the world's leading brands, I've had the pleasure to work with over 300 startups from early stage to exit, uh, from unicorns to um, ideation stage. Um, and uh, that all led up to so far, I think over $10 billion in uh, exit. Um, for them, not for me, unfortunately. So let me introduce the co-host of today. Here is Chris the man, Chris Tran, expert, investor, operator, and corporate finance guru. Thanks, Lars. And I'm Chris Tran, head of Northridge Partners Asia, where we work with Southeast Asian entrepreneurs to raise capital, grow their businesses, and exit. Today's topic is back on the map, the smart city opportunity for Southeast Asia. You know, when people think about smart cities in Asia, of course, they rightly think about China. And China has 56 of the top 100 largest cities in the world. But next, typically what you think about is India. And yes, India does have nine out of 100 of the largest cities in the world. But just edging out India and second only to China is Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia indeed has 10 of the world's largest top 100 cities. Southeast Asia's population is young at around 30 years old. Urban, where about 150 million of Southeast Asian people live in cities and well-connected digitally, mobile first in fact. The question is, will that combination of young, urban and connected lead to a rise in smart city application in Southeast Asia? Is there actually a real market opportunity or will Southeast Asia struggle to find the use cases and the budget? A reality check here, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam's capital still does not have a metro train system. In Manila, the capital of the Philippines, blackouts still occur regularly and Bangkok, ranked as having the world's worst traffic quite often. Today, we probe into what is the smart city opportunity and why now? This week is a little bit different as we are lucky enough to have today, Stanamira Kaliva, who runs Here Technologies for Asia Pacific, the world's largest location platform company and Charles Reed Anderson of Spark Labs Connects. Charles is one of the region's most sought after experts in the smart city space. Today's episode is focused on building the dream and growing to win. Now, last, today's poll. Thank you, Chris, and welcome to, to our guests. Hi, Charles, hi, Stanley Mirror. Uh, today's poll, before I go into that, just a reminder to all our uh, guests and attendees, if you have a question, please use the Q&A function, not the chat function. Um, so the Q&A function, leave your question there and we'll get to it later. We'll have 
at least 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes at the end to really answer your questions. So please put your questions up there. And then uh, the, one of the features in Zoom webinars is that you can actually upvote it. So you can decide what's the most daring question, the most interesting question that you want to have answered. So please use the Q&A function here. Okay, now the poll of today, it's about what's the impact of COVID-19 on smart city initiatives in the year to come. So number one, initiatives will accelerate. So is the whole pandemic and economic downturn actually fuel to make things go faster and further? Or just, okay, it will pick up where it was before and will continue as is. Or in the next new normal, uh, the money is gone and um, yeah, well, things will actually come to a an halt and uh, downsize. What's your take? So let's start the poll and see what's the opinion of our attendees today. How will COVID-19 impact smart city initiatives next year and beyond? Will it help to accelerate things, slow things down, or it's as usual? So as the numbers are coming in, I'm sure, Charles, your, your take, it, it will accelerate or slow down? What, what's your take? I'll let you know later. <laughs> I do think, I was just thinking what you really need is the Jeopardy music right now in dun, the background. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, good. So let's have a look at the results. Initiatives will accelerate is the clear winner. Um, it might be a little bit biased because most likely people that are already interested and invested in smart cities might be uh, attending today, but that's fantastic to see that. Um, okay, so we we'll can refer to that later. Uh, nobody interestingly thinks, or well, not nobody, only 20% think it will go on as is. So, uh, but the winner is initiatives will accelerate. That's fantastic to hear. So over to Chris and uh, get started. Great. So why invest money, time and resources into the smart city opportunity? We're so lucky to have Stan and Mayor here. And Stan and Mayor, just for people that don't know about here technologies, um, it's some version of a mapping company. Is it really just the European version of Google Maps? Wow, that's a good question. Thank you, Chris. Yes, we we started our roots uh, back in Europe and uh, North America, but we've been around for a 35-year period of time. Uh, we have expanded in this part of the world about 15 years ago. We started Pori in Southeast Asia and, and India. And uh, we are now using India as our main operations center to run the world map. Um, we do have 200 countries covered um, in detailed maps, standard definition. We are now building high definition products to serve autonomous uh, and many other use cases of the future. And uh, for a difference from someone like Google, uh, we actually uh, have started as a B2B player and we are 100% B2B player, uh, originated with uh, the auto industry and now expanding rapidly, not only geographically, but also into new industries with the advancement of things like Internet of Things. And um, yeah, and we believe location can improve just about any real life process. Uh, so happy to make sure that the assets are now available pretty much across the region. Oh, that's very exciting to hear. And um, if I understand correctly, um, you're invested in by the big three in Germany, right? So BMW, Volkswagen, um, and of course, Mercedes-Benz uh, is a shareholder. Um, you're based in Singapore, looking after the APAC region. Um, have you most recently had you know new investors, new partners come on board? Yeah, indeed. Uh, very exciting news. We just closed the deal back in June uh, when uh, Mitsubishi Corp and NTT just joined uh, our shareholders uh, and uh, they are now owners of about 30% of our business. We had a period of time uh, when being part of Nokia Maps, or indeed here Technologies was formerly Nokia Maps. Uh, back in 2015, it got acquired by a consortium of Daimler, BMW and Audi Volkswagen as the main shareholders. And since then, uh, in the last four years, we had been diversifying our shareholding, uh, really much in reflection of the fact that location is beyond automotive, uh, substantially so now as we see many new industries 
industries incorporating locations in, in how they digitalize and, and, and how they modernize uh, their processes. And uh, smart cities is certainly one area that you can see uh, almost like a sandbox of so many new developments uh, happening that uh, location is, is quite a part of it. And so, yeah, today uh, we are probably equally distributed between, well, still quite uh, focused around automotive, but then also in industries around transport and logistics, uh, supply chain, public sector, uh, obviously telecom and media uh, technology, which is, which is good for this part of the world. Fantastic. Now, of course, the name of the company is Here Technologies, and absolutely no pun intended, you're responsible for AsiaPAC, which has... 4.6 billion people. Goodness knows how many more devices coming up, uh, including all sorts of cars, cargo, supply chain bits and pieces. Stanimara, how did you end up here? <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, so my love affair with this uh, with this region actually started um, many years ago. Uh, for the first time, I moved to Singapore in 2003 uh, when I landed a job with a company called Tricom, which is now part of Hewlett Packard. And um, I've been in technology all along, pretty much working between Asia and, and, and Europe. And the second stint here in Asia started about 10 years ago. And uh, I've now um, consider, I, I, I now consider myself as, as part of uh, Asia and, and part of the Asia business. Um, I love the, the region. I, I think the, the region is probably one of the most diverse regions in the world, uh, starting from uh, just truly emerging markets uh, and all the way to very mature and established markets like Australia and or Japan and Southeast Asia in between. And Southeast Asia in particular is such a collection of, uh, of uh, different markets, different cultures, different opportunities. I absolutely love it being here. I came more from the technology side of, of the house. I've spent years working with Cisco and Microsoft um, and Citrix to mention a few. And, and uh, I joined uh, the GIS technology power part of the industry, which is here, here technologies about a couple of years ago. And I'm um, fastly educating myself how technology can turbocharge uh, you know, production of of, uh, of location information, but and, and then delivery of uh, location intelligence, which is part of uh, of what we do in the business, and it's truly exciting. I mean, you see it all in one place. We see you see cloud services, and you see big data, and you see lots of AI and machine learning uh, being used. And it's right in our region, so most of these capabilities are being built in our center in India. Um, and so, yeah, we're seeing it firsthand how things change from one day to another. And, and just the sheer size of the market is, is super exciting and, and super important, I believe. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. You know, um, this amazing track record for North America and Europe, uh, 10,000 people, um, a big portion of those, of course, call you boss. Um, you know, around Singapore, for example, maybe in Indonesia or the Philippines or Vietnam, uh, you know, what specific, uh, you know, sort of areas are you thinking about? Um, you mentioned around, it's not just, you know, cars and autonomous vehicle, but around supply chain, etc. cetera. Um, you, you know, are a couple of sort of areas that, that you think are, are ripe for opportunity in terms of fixing problems. And of course, down the chain, we'll talk about, you know, how do we actually make money in this space? But um, any particular, uh, 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 you know, commercial partnerships or, or, or sectors or opportunities you're working on? That you can yeah, there's a, there's a, um, uh, well, many questions in one go, but uh, I think the, um, if we take a step back uh, and just uh, think of what uh, so-called cities were uh, in the beginning of last century, right? Back in 1990, uh, the statistics go only 15% of the population really lived in cities, right? Well, today it's, it's, it's over half of the populations are in, living in, in, uh, in cities and mega cities. Um, and you mentioned a few figures around uh, so-called smart cities, et cetera. But frankly, with the level of urbanization we see, and, and in 2030,
currently we are going to see about 60% of the population living in cities, right? The pressure is on in, in, in have to achieve efficiencies and have to use smart services and smart technologies to just make it possible and, and get these people to live. So it's a whole host of opportunities that one can see. And, and, and here in, uh, in, in this particular region, um, we, we see many things leapfrogging for, for the fact that the infrastructure uh, hasn't necessarily matured the way we see it in Europe, et cetera. And, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll give you just one uh, figure that came through McKinsey's uh, report on uh, the opportunity in uh, Southeast Asia. And Southeast Asia's so-called smart city mobile apps related opportunities is estimated to be as big as $60 billion, uh, which is a substantial number. And, and uh, or if you think about smart injection or smartness injection into buildings, it's another $26 billion in, in the same report. And, and so that is cumulative across um, uh, government, but also lots of private businesses that participate in, uh, in these opportunities. And uh, we have multiple partnerships around urban mobility, around public safety uh, services delivery. And, and this COVID situation has been very much of a propeller of, uh, of what we saw uh, being needed from just same, simple track and trace capabilities, but also delivery on, on resources on demand and, and, uh, and a dynamic, um, uh, and as well as even just food supply and uh, the rise around e-commerce um, uh, applications, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we, we work with a whole host of, uh, of people, um, but, uh, you know, mobile, uh, you know, urban mobility is one that I would mention is probably top of the list here in, uh, in, in this part of the world. So there you have it, folks. Stanamira is going to help the 150 million of us get around a lot, lot better. Fantastic. Lars, it's your turn. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Stanamira. So um, I just added up the numbers. 60 billion plus 26, that's about 86. So we're close to $100 billion on an opportunity, uh, according to the report. Over to Charles. Before I introduce you, probably just quickly jumping on that. What, what else makes it the, the opportunity besides the, you know, the big numbers? What, what do you see as the big opportunity for smart cities? I just think there's a lot of areas that need improvement. Um, let's face it. I mean, there's a lot of room to streamline operations. Um, I'm looking for ways that we can start improving the customer or citizen experience. Um, obviously, Stenemira, you should be looking at contact tracing for humans as a great opportunity. Um, so maybe partner with somebody and then we'll all be walking around with clips in our neck um, so they know where we are and they can improve the contact tracing efficiency. Uh, be better than the mobile apps, I think. So, but no, there's a lot of opportunities out there. People are still sitting on budgets. Um, so hopefully in Q4, if things open up, we'll see a good spike, but it will definitely be shifting. Okay. Charles, now you wear so many hats, right? Uh, among them, you're an expert, podcaster, McKinsey senior advisor, um, and, and the new baby uh, that you're raising is uh, Spark Labs Connects. So maybe you can share us a little bit about what that is about and, and uh, what, what you're looking at and how maybe some of the guests on the show can help you to uh, get uh, the success you're looking out to achieve. Sure. Well, why don't I start? I'll give you an overview of my day business or what a portion of it. So um, I basically have my own consulting firm that sits in the middle of the IoT, smart cities and prop tech ecosystem. And I work with everybody from technology vendors to city governments, uh, enterprise customers, startups, VCs, banks. And I try to help everybody navigate the ecosystem and make it work more efficiently. Um, so basically help people source innovation and then deliver it as well. Um, what we're doing with Spark Labs Connects. So if you don't know Spark Labs, it's a one of the larger global um, accelerator programs and VC funds. We're gonna be creating a new fund and accelerator based in Singapore, um, focusing on IoT, smart cities and prop tech, but it's gonna be slightly different than your traditional accelerator model. It's almost gonna be part accelerator and then parts venture builder, because instead of just working on the startups and then hoping they can find their way through the market, we're bringing in a lot of partners that could be some of my old clients or people that I know in the industry uh, to bring supply and demand together inside the program and hopefully accelerate access to innovation. Okay. Um, and as you said, um, it's, it's another accelerator program and there are something around 150 in Singapore already. Uh, what, what makes it really different and why do we need Spark Labs Connects? Because if you would say, do we need another accelerator? I'd say probably no, because you're right. There's between 150 and 160 accelerators and incubators, corporate incubators in Singapore alone. And we only got five and a half million people. 
Um, so obviously you don't need another one, but those existing ones, only a few are really delivering a lot of value back. And we spent a lot of time, when they first approached me, I thought they were crazy uh, about trying to set this up because it is, it's a very different environment here. There's so much competition. So I looked at it and I found out, well, what's working and what isn't working? And what I realized is there's thousands of companies out there that have got great technology, great solutions, and they're failing. So why is that? It's not the technology. It's because it's very difficult to navigate the smart cities ecosystem. Um, let's face it, if you're in Taipei and you want to talk to Taipei City, that's one set of people you talk to. But if you want to talk to new Taipei City, which is just down the road, it's a whole other set of people. And you've got Taoyuan. And it becomes very complicated to actually be able to get in front of the right people. So what we're really trying to do is bring groups of people much closer together um, and give them access to proof of concepts and pilots, and then sharing that through things like the Global Organization of Smart Cities, which is 370 cities and technology vendors. Um, so it gets them that visibility. Um, it's really about ecosystem. It's about collaboration and sharing. And it's, I mean, I think most of the people involved in it and the partners we have, they realize the current model isn't working. So we need to try something different. Great. So Sparklabs Connects was, was launched beginning of the year, um, everything re ready to rock and roll, and then something happened. So uh, what's the status right now? And uh, can people apply for the program? When is it kicking off? Uh, do you still look for partners? So we are talking to some partners right now, um, but our partner model isn't open um, because it is very high touch. And I have to be working with vendors that I know I can trust who can deliver on the terms of the MOU. Um, so we don't really open that up. What's happened since we did our, I think it was end of February, we did the press release. And yes, obviously there's been a little bit of change in the world since then. Um, so all of our fundraising calls right now are going through video conference. Um, so literally I'm doing calls with Europe, Middle East, US, Asia. So, you know, basically getting a lot of practice on Zoom and Google Meet. Um, but hopefully, um, and let's face it, there's really no point in kicking it off in Q3. I think we need the market to open up a bit. Um, what I'm hoping is we start seeing some progress everything starts opening up a bit in Q4. So we open applications then and kick, uh, hit the ground running in Q1. Okay, fantastic. But you shared with me um, before the, uh, we kicked off the webinar that you already have some fantastic partners on board. So maybe you can share a little bit on, on who's already behind it. And uh, are, you, are you also fundraising at the moment? You said you're getting on calls. Anybody yeah. here um, should just send over a check or you're also very closed on your choose of invest of your choice on investors. Well, I like cash, cash, <laughs> cash and then unmarked bills preferably would be a great start for me. I think and just enough that I can at least survive the rest of my uh, lockdown. I'll just use it for buying more wine, I think anyway. So um, now obviously, yes, we are still fundraising partner wise. It, it, if I showed you the logo sheet, you'd say, well, it's not that big, but I don't want it to be that big. There's a certain select group of partners in there and it all, if you think about it, the way it could work, makes sense. And the easiest way, I'll, I'll just run through a scenario. Uh, so one of our partners is 8 Inc, who is the uh, design firm that's behind the Apple store of all things. So they presented the concept to Steve Jobs, they've been rolling them out. They do some, some fantastic work across Asia. Um, they've done Xiaomi's flagship store. They do work with Lincoln up in uh, China doing salesperson-less car dealerships, which is kind of an interesting model, but they're the top performing dealerships they have. Um, but working with someone like them who also looks at the future of cities, they can therefore give us the inputs. This is the problem statements we have or the demand requirements. Um, and then because there's so much based on connectivity, I partner with people like Nokia. Um, so they can test the technology. But if I find something that runs on 5G, obviously they could then take it out to their customers or their mobile operator customers. Um, we've got people like Skyrim and Tata to help us on the eSIM side, Becca on the construction and engineering, and then a lot of the different cities. So we've got direct relationships with Songdo, Darwin in Australia, uh, Taipei, um, as well as the Urban Technology Alliance, which gives me test beds across Europe, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan as well. Um, I mentioned already Go Smart, the Global Organization of Smart Cities, and it does. It follows everything through the ecosystem from when you first launch your product to how it could potentially work. But then we've also got one um, partnership we've announced recently, which I'm really happy about, and that's with Singapore Management University. And you would think I would normally want to partner with somebody with very strong technical skills, but I don't. What I like about SMU is that they actually have a degreed program in smart cities. And just because you've got a solution that works for a city doesn't mean it has the right operational business and financial models. So we can actually work um, together, you know, with the people at SMU as well and try and solve some of these issues and drive the smart cities industry forward. Fantastic. 
um, talking about financial models and money, uh, over to the men with the money um, or the men that makes the money flow. Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lars. And, you know, smart smitty, of course, means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, ROI uh, is not only financial, right? And there is definitely public good and non-financial parameters towards achieving an ROI. But to hone in on the private sector, and specifically, startups and businesses need to generate revenues and profits. And investors, of course, need to make money when they invest in these companies. So, Stanamera, perhaps a very direct question, and it seems to me that going forward with the current environment, there'll be more money to be made solving problems around cost and efficiency than revenue. But can you give us some examples of who pays your bills and typically for what problems that you help them solve? Yeah, so, so I did mention uh, a little bit uh, of uh, figures of assessment, how big the market can be and Lars did the maths. Uh, it could be even just between the mobile apps uh, and, uh, and smart buildings could be as close as $100, million, uh, sorry, $100 billion in uh, Southeast Asia. And so you can extrapolate from there and you think uh, many of these new business models around uh, urban mobility uh, are centered around super app. Uh, had been invented or started scaling really in uh, in uh, Asia and people you see people like Gojek or, or Grab or uh, any other players in, in that area would be typically people that benefit from um, insertion of location and many advanced services around that. Uh, we do work with, uh, with uh, the government itself in terms of uh, you know extending solutions around public safety or dynamically allocation of resources. Now lately unfortunately with medical equipment tracing and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and any ecosystem players around that. So medical equipment manufacturers were part of our partner, uh, partner ecosystem in, in this case. Uh, we also work with people that work around smart infrastructure. And, uh, you know, you think about companies like Bosch or Continental uh, or people that are gearing up for autonomous. Uh, and we would be typically part of that ecosystem. And, and I would say um, everything's been delivered on, on platforms, uh, mobile app platforms or, or web-based platforms uh, on both sides. And, and, and I think uh, any of these ventures uh, that are able to deliver platform type of services scale and then deliver towards the bigger good uh, of, of public goals um, and you do the mapping around that and uh, you can find pretty much lots of opportunities in, in, in that area. That's wonderful. And Charles, you know, when we were first talking about Spark Labs Connect, what I found interesting was it was a different, <laughs> it was a different approach to uh, really looking at the space. And what I do know is that, you know, it's that wonderful blend of private sector and public sector and that you can actually make money in this. Perhaps the two questions in here. Number one, which I don't think we touched on last um, that we did want to, has there been any shift? Uh, you know, we've been talking about, and sorry, this is a bit remiss of me, but we've been talking about smart city now really for decades, right? So, and we can go back to you, Stan Amira, as well. There's two questions in here. Number one, what's changed now? Why is the opportunity now, if we can hone in on that? And then number two, to go back to Spark Labs Connect, what's different about Spark Labs Connect? And, and how does it look at its unfair competitive advantage to make money for investors? Okay, so let's start off. So what's different now? Um, first of all, I think it, there's always a learning curve. Um, it takes a while before people realize how to deliver these solutions. You gotta remember, any smart city solution is gonna have multiple products from multiple vendors to create one solution. So it's about collaboration. The technology industry as a whole in general isn't built on collaboration. It's built about sales guys going out and wanting to control all the money for their company. Um, so now they're slowly learning that that model doesn't work. And trust me, I deal with a lot of the cities around the region. They constantly get vendors coming in saying, I'm your one-stop shop. I can solve everything. Nobody can solve everything. You have to collaborate. So people are realizing that, that you need to adjust your model. You need to be more flexible, but also they need to come up with the right financial models that you need going forward. A lot of times people are used to CapEx, like the vendors want to sell a bunch of new kit. Cities don't have budgets for that. So you have to do and understand the city's requirements and therefore design flexible financial models as a service models, shared risk models, to make sure that you guys can both grow together. 
and it should work out longer term. Um, so then the second part was about what is Connexus the unique offering? How are we going to drive this? I think we get collaboration. The people we're partnering with are the ones who are probably at the forefront right now of the industry already in understanding why it isn't working. Um, so they know that this model is what is needed. So they're willing to back it. Um, also, they know that we're helping them source innovation. We, we don't take over innovation sourcing for these companies or cities, but we become a nice little component. And it's a new model where they can test things out with us um, and we can share amongst that group. I mean, I hope that a lot of our partners start working directly with some of the cities um, because they start realizing it's a trusted group. And that together, if we actually try to do this um, collaboration model, it will drive some innovation. And of course, there's that slight little COVID thing that's changing as well. Just a little bit, just a little bit, you know. Just a little bit. Stan Amara, can we just quickly go back to you and, you know, like, why now? Yeah, so so I think uh, perhaps building upon uh, what Charles mentioned is uh, is really there was uh, quite a, a, a big development on both sides of demand and supply. And if you think a little bit about uh, what's different now with regards to demand, I mean, COVID obviously accelerated a number of developments and we, we had to real-time progress. Actually, I, I loved um, a phrase from um, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, uh, who mentioned that in the last two months, uh, we have seen two years worth of digital transformation. And, uh, and I think that's kind of really speaks volumes about the attention to, to you know, implementing new solutions, accelerating few initiatives, uh, just because of the sheer size of crisis and, and, and new capabilities we needed to deal with it. But on the technology and capability side, uh, probably you could even think of something like the, the more slow. I mean, there's been an evolution, constant evolution in terms of the development in, in technologies, but now we have reached a point where there, there are solutions, mature solutions, out uh, available on the market, uh, which can be put together and, and, and deliver the, the outcome, which is, which is not going to be incremental. It's going to be more of a, you know, a major step forward uh, in a number of areas. So I think it's a, it's a compelling cross-section. And uh, building upon what Charles said, these things go into an ecosystem and, and, and uh, one development spurs number of connected developments. Um, and um, I think that's why uh, looking at the portfolio around what's around services and smart cities uh, is becoming ever ever richer and and uh, and very attractive fantastic that's great Lars over to me and the and the rapid fire question so rapid fire um, just I'll, I'll give it's it's a left or right black or white yes or no uh, question and I'll uh, have then uh, one after the other just give a one sentence answer to it okay so I'll, I'll just kick it off. Drones, will, be, will we be getting our pizza delivered to our balconies very soon? Charles, yes or no, and why? Uh, not to the balcony, but you'll see an increase in drone usage in the coming years, and it'll be driven by increased government regulation. Governments have been slow um, to set regulations around drone usage, but as a result of COVID-19 and the lockdown crisis, we realized the importance of being able to transport things like medical supplies, without having to have to put people at risk. So I think you'll see a rise um, in this based on regulation. Sunny Mara, good take as well. Yes, I'm a, I'm a drone supporter as well. I, I think it's a, it's a real opportunity. I mean, just think about congestion and think about the need to, to ever exponentially growing need to deliver stuff. So uh, there must be a way. And, and just very recently, a few weeks ago in Singapore, there was a, a pilot not a pilot, there was a test with an unmanned drone to deliver actually medication to uh, some of the sailors offshore. So uh, great use case. Next question, flying taxis, slightly bigger drones, if you will. Flying taxis, rich man's toy or someone never forgot about the Jetsons? Danimera, you go first. <laughs> oh, here you go. And I had to actually do a bit of research on the Jetsons part of it. But, uh, and, and yes, the answer is yes. I mean, uh, this year, early in the year, I was part of a, a big consumer electronics show, which uh, happens annually in, in uh, Las Vegas. 
out of all places. And 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 I have to say, I mean, just walking around uh, most prominent, uh, the most prominent booths of uh, and 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 lots of auto and and also new players uh, are there at the show. There was at least uh, four or five different flying taxis partnerships that were uh, that were showcased there. So I believe the opportunity must be there. Charles, flying taxis. Uh, I agree. Um, Uber's been doing some trials um, and we're looking to do the trials in Melbourne right now, going between the city center and the airport. At first, I thought that was crazy until I realized that's actually one of the high, most frequented helicopter routes as is. So I think flying tag is a big sense there. And I know that Darwin's looking at doing them. I and Chris, you're going to have to correct me if I say this wrong. Flying a, a taxi from uh, Darwin to Kakadu. Is that right? Kakadu? Right, got it. I can do it. Good job. <laughs> yeah, but I like the model because it goes through the outback there. It's normally at least a three-hour drive to get there, and they can do flying taxis. And Darwin's the perfect place to do this because, let's face it, there's not a lot around there. So you're basically, if it does crash, you're not going to be risking civilians, um, obviously, except for the ones that would be in the flying taxi. So, yes, I think <laughs> we'll see it, and I won't be in them in the near term, though. I'll wait and see. Okay, next. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody has an opinion. Contact tracing apps. Do they work, Charles? No. Yeah, I would. I would second to to Charles. I mean, they don't, and they are actually painful to use. Uh, and if only people would, if I was only able to get my team to to inject part of the uh, positioning and and various other technologies we have, so to make it much easier for people to uh, to be able to um, to use it. But on a serious note, uh, we also need to uh, take a view on, on the data privacy and security part of it. And, and there is a changing um, regulation and, and, and various other considerations that uh, we need to keep in mind. But yeah, that's also a big question on people's minds. So. And, I, mean, I want to add one more thing on that real quick. So it, the reason I say no so quickly is because I don't like the way the apps work. Um, we've not been very clear. There's been data breaches. They were built too quick. Um, what I like is the model they used in Korea. And what they had was a law in place because of what had happened before with previous crises where they can enact it, access data for mobile operators and credit card companies um, and basically do effective contact tracing. I think you'll also see regulation around this going forward in case there is a second wave because let's face it, it's effective. Um, and we just need a combination of a public-private partnership. You need government, technology vendors, and citizen rights advocates agreeing what will be the usage of the data and be very transparent about it and how it will be disposed of. Thanks, Charles. And that brings me right to the, to the last rapid-fire question, right? Is smart cities, does it mean better services, endless opportunities, or the final total loss of privacy? You want me to answer this one? Yes, you go first. Okay, um, it depends. Less than two hours. Doing less it than two hours. It isn't going to end it because look what happened when they tried it. Sidewalk Labs tried to basically create this environment in Toronto where they were going to own all the data. The public revolted against it. They cut back initially. Now they've completely pulled out. Um, people will get smart about this. And we're just now starting to understand what is acceptable use around AI. Um, we need code of ethics. Bosch came out earlier this year at Bosch Connected World with their AI code of ethics. I know IMDA is working with Darwin, I think, about creating some of this as well, because Darwin does some cutting edge stuff around facial recognition and vehicle recognition. We need this code of ethics and the governments have to come up and work with everybody to say, what is acceptable use? If not, it holds the industry back. And it's very different, obviously, in different countries. I mean, I'm from originally from Germany, where, where that's a very hot topic in public and in other places like Singapore, um, it, it's handled slightly different. But Stanley Mera, also from Europe, does it uh, influence your, your answer on uh, is it loss of total privacy or not? Well, it shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't be. But also, as Charles said, thinking and regulation around that is evolving. Uh, but we have some, uh, the good news is I think uh, we now understand the problem better. And uh, also the advancements of our AI make it quite obvious in a number of cases. So I expect that we'll be able to resolve and, and understand the barriers and, and, uh, and, and the needs. Um, but I fundamentally believe that the opportunity around smart cities is huge and, and it's there. Fantastic, thank you. So for all our attendees, a kind reminder for the Q&A section, the questions are uh, already triggering in, trickling in and uh, getting voted up. So if you haven't posted your question, please do that now so that we can uh, answer them in, in a short while. Over to Chris with the pitch. Fantastic, now let's talk about the pitch. For Stan and Mira at Here Technologies, you're not necessarily 
necessarily looking at investing into startups per se. However, you are looking at being one of the key ecosystem players to work with partners to solve some of the common problems that we all have. Can you kindly let us know about maybe some of the partnerships you're looking for? And if they are looking for you, um, what sort of some of the things that they should come back to you with to make sure that it's a good match in terms of how here technology works with partners to jointly solve problems in the ecosystem? Yeah, that's great, Chris. Uh, yeah, and, uh, all sorts of partnerships, frankly. I mean, just to give you a few examples, if you think of um, use cases around uh, transport and logistics, um, that would be uh, use cases around fleet management or supply chain visibility um, or e-commerce partnerships. Um, and, and, and a lot of it is centered around applications and platforms uh, that could deliver the services. Um, the other aspect of um, us serving utilities Utilities or, or various other players where we, we put to play our, um, our level of automation and, and toolkits that we have created over the years and help people to uh, build their own uh, maps, their own location and, and then maintain it fresh. Um, and then the big area of uh, data partnerships, and, and we are looking at uh, people who run sensor, uh, you know, sensor networks and, and how we can partner in that. And uh, we have now actually releasing a, a new marketplace, which is going to combine all sorts of data providers that could be a location-centric data providers. And that's going to be huge. I mean, data is the new oil, as they say. I, I, I would say that probably I'm going to become a new currency one day. Um, and in that sense, uh, possibilities are endless in, uh, in, in, in the partnerships around data. Stanimera, I might interject there and ask you to kindly repeat something that um, you have, um, which I thought was just so insightful um, uh, when we were preparing for this. And it was, the map is only... A visualization of the huge database that sits behind. Uh, it is when when you when you attempt to map um, 200 countries around the world to the next level of detail. And just to give you an example, so-called standard definition map is with precision uh, down to 10 meters. Uh, now, high definition map has to deliver precision down to 10 centimeters, and this is like um, it's powered by massive data behind it and and that data also needs to be refreshed constantly so it's uh, so there is some breakthrough technologies that need to, to, to come on top of it but in the concept of smart city and before we move to to the world of autonomous one day the whole asset of, of huge data sitting behind the map is can be used in so many other ways around planning around you know uh, restructuring how the city operates um, you know empowering uh, real-time services, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we have also another motto, which basically says location is what moves the world forward. So uh, here you go. That's beautiful, wonderful. And Charles, hey, you know, I gave up my job at uh, IBM, Deloitte, um, you know, McKinsey, uh, all those wonderful companies, because I want to build a startup, change the world. And how do I make sure that I can get your attention? Because I know that when I become part, part of Spark, Labs connects, I will just exit to the likes of Schneider, Bosch, etc. So how do I get your attention? How do I pitch to you? Um, what you don't do is talk about technology for technology's sake. Um, everything going forward, let's face it, no matter what, we are going into the next, another phase of life. Companies, cities are going to have limited budgets on certain things. So you better be able to elaborate on and explain the value you're going to deliver to these people. And that means you need to be able to explain how you're going to save the money, streamline their operations, reduce their headcount. I'm going to look for value-driven solutions going forward because there's no point in just having a great piece of technology if no one's going to be able to buy it and not understand the ROI model. Um, and the other thing I would look at for sure is their openness to collaboration. Who do they talk to? Do they understand the ecosystem? If they're just bright people who just have a great idea um, and a great piece of technology, they haven't figured anything out yet, I'm not saying no, but it becomes less attractive. I like people who understand the limitations and know that they're stronger when they partner with the right people. Great, thank you, Charles. Um, and let's move over to the questions from the audience. And I'll directly start with an anonymous question. Why hasn't Singapore, a first world country, implemented IoT resources to being a smart city to the likes of UK, Sweden, or Canada, 
Um, Singapore is uh, hasn't implemented the same resources than uh, UK, Sweden, or Canada. Um, Sally Mara and, and, and Charles, you both are the experts. So first of all, is the allegation right? Singapore hasn't done the same thing. Um, and then why could it be like that? <laughs> Charles directly shake, was shaking his head. So uh, you, you disagree strongly? Yeah. Um, you gotta remember, if you look at the Smart Nation program, that's one thing, but you have to look at what Singapore has done over 50 years. Um, they've been investing very long strategic plans about where they're going to go. They've been investing in technology and infrastructure over that time. Um, if you look at somebody like LTA and how accurate everything is, how many things are monitored, they do a very good job at it. Um, I don't think they're behind the UK, Canada, um, or Sweden. In fact, if you look at the smart city rankings, okay, smart city rankings are, I can't say BS, but I'll say BS anyway. Um, they're all over the place. They really can't be trusted. The only city in the world that ranks the top 10 in every smart city ranking is Singapore. Uh, London comes in number 50 in one of those. And London is going to definitely be the most connected city in the UK. So um, I think the allegations uh, incorrect. And Singapore is much farther ahead um, when it comes to it. And it, like I said, it's not just me who's saying this. If you do it from a qualitative survey, they come across number one. If you do it from the quantitative ones, they're always in the top 10. Thank you. And just a follow-up question. Um, somebody also anonymous said, PM Lee amazed with China's quick adaption and integration with cashless payments pushed for Singapore to achieve the same result. Having said, Singapore seems to be more of a follower and less of a leader. What do you think Singapore needs to do to be truly the world's smartest city? Stani Mera, you, you, you pick, pick that one up. <laughs> wow, and I, I, I have to say payment systems wouldn't be necessarily uh, top of my expertise or research areas, but uh, uh, I would say the adoption. Uh, yeah, we have seen we have seen China obviously leapfrogging that one. And, and uh, uh, back to Charles's question, I, I, I think if if you look at the figures of uh, what's happened with, uh, for example, congestion charging and and congestion decrease, practical decrease in Singapore. And I know I'm getting off the the payment uh, systems necessarily, uh, and uh, also the public uh, the public transit and and how that's improved over the years. There is lots of statistics to show that actually Singapore is, is quite ahead and has re achieved real results. Um, I don't know, Charles, do you want to tackle the payment, uh, the payment platforms? Yes, but I can't say something. Um, they were, okay, they could have. Um, there's reasons why they didn't. It was a strategic choice. Um, I'm not that fussed about it. They'll eventually do it. We're creating our own payment models. It can be consumer driven. I mean, I hardly ever even pull a credit card anymore. Um, I'm always using my Apple Pay or something like that. So we can still create that. So what does Singapore need to do in general to become a smarter city and the smartest city? Um, innovate faster, I would say, and have more acceptance of failure. Um, Singapore does a very small number of proof of concepts and they take a lot longer than some other cities um, because they don't want them to fail. So they put a lot more into it. But I kind of like the idea of fail fast, fail often. And that's why I've always said, I think Taipei has the most innovative smart city because in the last couple of years, they've done 175 proof of concepts. Um, doesn't mean 175 were successful, but they've created an environment where people can come in and test fast, see if it works. If it doesn't, you move on. But if it does work, then you can implement on it. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that drive, speed, flexibility, and creating test beds, sandboxes where we can move fast and test things out to see what'll work for the future. Okay. Thank you. And, um, you know, one of the top three questions that, uh, that, that I see right now, it's not a question, it's a comment that made it in there. Charles sounds like George Clooney. Congratulations. <laughs> it's better than Danny DeVito, I guess. <laughs> Chris, you want to take the next one? Sure. And, you know, the great thing about hosting these webinars is it's your party. So you get to uh, shout out and invite who you like. So um, firstly, shout out to Will Miles uh, from the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. So thank you very much for joining. Uh, shout out to Sora Fadachara, who's um, at Continental uh, Intelligent Transport Mobility Solutions. My question is around this, uh, Stanamira and Charles. You know, when we look at even what's happened in business in the broader sense, the reality is, is that thanks to the internet, English has become the first true international language. If you look at computers going back in the day, it was the classical 
Mac iOS and then the Windows iOS. We develop standard frameworks. Now, when we start to look at the physical world, are we anywhere closer to, you know, really developing a standard language, a standard measurement of, I guess, the geographic environment? You know, there's so many devices communicating to each other. Um, there's so many ways that we need to, you know, control the data, classify it. I mean, I know it's a sort of very geeky question, but it's it's very important, you know, how are we going to get there so that we can make sure that we can communicate in this wonderful new language, right, um, that would enable the smart city adoption and will enable everyone and all participants to communicate well with each other. Shall I kick it off? Yeah, so so to me, uh, there are a number of initiatives, right, that needs to come together to, to create a common language, if you will. But there will be probably different languages for different parts. Um, on IoT, we obviously need to see a higher level of standardization and, and um, interoperability between different parts of, of the technology there. Uh, on the side of data, uh, there is a, a lot, I think, in terms of uh, the harmonization of, of regulations, et cetera, which is, I mean, obviously, we saw GDPR, GDPR coming out of Europe. There are a number of initiatives here in, in, in this part of the world to tackle uh, issues around privacy, security, uh, and, uh, and, and transparency in, in, in that sense. From a geeky point of view, there are technologies which I believe are going to become the norm, and, and that would be potentially quite a, a vast usage of uh, technologies like blockchain uh, in terms of how we handle data and how we update data, et cetera, et cetera, and, and uh, that itself will probably become the common language or some offsprings of, of it. Um, and so to me, uh, there, there, there is quite an advancement in all these areas uh, with regards to making it a well-understood common language. And in, from, from a location point of view, and, and actually there are things like addressing schemes and, and, uh, in, and, and the way the, the physical world is structured that probably needs a little bit of improvement because there is there is quite a bit of difference, especially in the emerging markets, as to as to how you find a location and how you label a location, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, I mean, that's probably very specific to my industry as well. But uh, yeah, we need a little bit more common language there as well. Um, I'm not worried about standardization. Um, I don't think it's, it'll happen. So I'm happy for it to keep diverging because I think we'll always find a way to create a platform platforms. Um, and if you try to standardize, it holds us back more. So I'm more than happy to let people go off in their different directions because eventually they'll come back somewhat together anyway. Good. We have a question on uh, if there are any comments or what's your thoughts on Facebook acquiring Mapillary and is Facebook going to play actually a role in smart cities? Sunny Mary, you want to go first? Yeah. I, it actually happened. It was announced last week. Right? That was a major, major news in in my industry. So it's one of few uh, large acquisitions where we see platform players trying to get hold of some sort of location. Uh, intelligence capabilities. Uh, we actually have traditionally been quite a strong partner with Facebook, and we know that they are now having the appetite to uh, enhance their capabilities and usages of location as, as a center for more services that they want to deliver uh, on their platform. So it's not uh, it's not necessarily surprising. It's good to see that finally location is having a prime day, and and people are starting to think around. Okay, how do I acquire capabilities like that? Uh, as part of my business but uh yeah the way we think about it if you, if you think of how many of these new services have been delivered on 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 the platforms like facebook or or others that you can think of uh it's the constant uh the constant um uh, run towards delivering superior service and superior customer experience um, and also location itself uh, or there is studies showing that if you book a service where uh, you could actually see where it is uh, then uh, the there is 30 percent better chance that uh, you will not cancel or you will consume the uh, you know uh, you will go to the restaurant or you'll go to the shoe shop or you know it's a it's a it's a, it's proven and and that's why we see actually quite a lot of um i mean for example the one of the biggest gis traditional gis companies in china is owned by alibaba now um and uh, i think uh, the prominence of injecting location as part of how you deliver electronic services is uh, is becoming quite uh, widespread 
Over to Charles for an investor-related questions. Uh, question. Post-COVID-19, what are the biggest differences in criteria that you believe that investors will use when deciding which initiatives to invest in or expedite or even cull? I think you got to start first with market demand, and that is going to shift. Um, so basically, I do think there's still a big pool of money available this year that people haven't spent yet. So that will drive some stuff um, in Q4. Um, but I think going into next year, there will be a shift around different types of services. And I think those will largely be based on addressing the COVID situation or the new normal. So things around anything around property, smart buildings that you can do for um, social distancing, there's markets for that, creating better home working environments. But like, I'll go back to the answer I gave earlier. It's going to be ROI and value driven on this stuff. People aren't going to be flushed with cash for a while. Let's face it, nearly every city in the world is going to be running a budget deficit for the next few years. Um, so focus on that value. And I think it's going to be brutal on a lot of startups because a lot of times people are just creating things because they're passionate about it. And it might be great, but literally it's going to come down to show me your value, how it's going to help me. If I can afford it, we'll go. And those companies that can do that, I think will succeed quickly because they're in those new spaces, everybody's got the same demand now. Everybody around the world has it. So it actually condenses it down. So people will flock to that area. Thank you. Um, maybe we have time for one last question um, or two. One is, does sustainability and smart city go hand in hand? For instance, can a country that is smart but not sustainable or vice versa be a true leader in smart cities? Who want to go first or who want to pick that up? I personally believe so. I believe that uh, sustainability is a very important part of smart city strategies just for the fact that you need to achieve extraordinary level of uh, productivity and efficiency. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you think about the um, elements like food supply, pollution, the quality of soil, um, the air we, we, we breathe, right? I mean, these are very important elements of what people expect to get uh, in, in, in terms of uh, their living uh, conditions, right? Being part of the, of the city environment. And so the two of them, and, and, and I've seen a number of initiatives. In fact, some of our new shareholders uh, have a major initiatives around supply chain to make them more circular um, and, uh, and really manage waste and, and, and manage uh, a much more efficient supply chains as part of it. So, so I think it's a, it's a very important aspect. I'll add to that real quick. So I think what you've seen is you look at places like Australia and Europe that are really doing well on the sustainability side and setting really excellent targets. It's because it was mandated by the government. You're going to see Singapore government uh, becoming stricter with green building regulations and sustainability initiatives. When that happens, is a follow-on um, effect across the rest of ASEAN. Um, so you'll see this. It's not going to happen overnight, but sustainability is not going away. There's going to be increased focus on it, and that's one of the key areas we'll be looking um, at in our investment thesis. Fantastic. And maybe the, the last question, of course, there's one. How do we apply for Connects Accelerator? I would say Google Spark Labs Connects. There should be the details to get in touch. Yeah, um, your details via the website. Yeah, um, but but the the other question I thought that's a very interesting perspective. We don't hear much about Africa when we talk about smart cities, but there are some uh, leapfrogging projects and, and use cases. Um, could could Africa be the new China when it comes to smart cities? It's difficult because it's very uh, distributed. So you have some major cities there. Um, but you don't have the equivalent of China, which is what Chris, what's the number from earlier? Was it 50 of the top 100 cities or something like that or in China by population? You do have some mega cities coming up in uh, Africa, but it's, uh, it's not inside of one country. So it's difficult to have one policy across it. Um, also, you got to remember, it takes a lot of strategic planning to, do, to deliver what China's delivered over the last 20 to 30 years. Not many countries in Africa are up to that yet, um, but you are seeing some amazing companies and solutions um, transforming the industries down there. There's one called uh, Hello Tractor out of Nigeria that I think is brilliant. They've basically Uberized um, the tractor market for farmers, for small holding farmers. It's, I love it. Um, so you get some of these really exciting solutions out there. So I think it's a source of innovation. They have other issues to do with right now than just becoming a smart city. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, thanks Danny Mara. I think there were some uh, fantastic insights and, and great questions. Thank you for, for the uh, contributions from our audience and, of course, uh, the knowledge and expertise that uh, we, we heard here. Chris, you want to wrap it up? 
yes, I just think we're so lucky again to have Stanamira and Charles here with us today. Um, there were so many sound bites. I, I really couldn't pick, you know, one or two. So apologies if I, I sort of didn't pick the, the most favorite one. But from Stanamira, I still can't help but go back to, you know, location really does move the world forward. It is your vision statement. Um, it is quite exciting because, yes, a map is only a mere visualization of the big data behind it. And I just love the the whole, you know, what's happened thanks to COVID is the acceleration of that digital change. And part of it that's coming along well with it is that whole collaboration opportunity. So very much looking forward to that. And for you, Charles, um, it's, you know, Singapore doesn't need another accelerator. It needs a new type of accelerator. Connect brings the supply and demand sides of smart city ecosystem together. So, you know, looking at different ways of creating the innovation that we require. At Southeast Asia Connect, we are here for our tech entrepreneurs and investors. We get shown the money, build the dream, and we grow to learn. It's been fantastic to look at the smart city dream and growing to win with all the learnings and all the insights with Stanamira and Charles. Next, episode five in a fortnight will be at the same time, 5 p.m. Thursday on Thursday, the 16th of July, where we have... Dr. Huron Sivrajaj of Oncoshot, cancer treatment platform company. For all you listeners, we, you could have been doing anything else, but you chose to come here, stay and tune in to us. So thank you very much for joining. And until next fortnight, Lars and I wish you good night. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.